in the song service. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Here we are again. All right. Take your Bibles tonight, if you would. And I hope you brought your Bibles with you. And for those of us in the pews, if you didn't bring your Bibles with you, for whatever reason, I won't say shame on you, but there are Bibles available if you happen to need one. But uh, do, uh, do turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me tonight to the Gospel of Mark as we are continuing. You thought maybe I had forgotten and gone off to something else, but nope, since we didn't have an evening service last week, we are in Mark chapter 8. So if you will find your way to Mark chapter 8, we'll be reading our source text here in just a few moments. And for those that may take notes, I know that there are some. I've titled tonight's message, Some Healings Take Time. Some Healings Take Time. Now the process of healing, I believe the process of healing is quite a unique and individual thing. Many things from which you or I or, or anyone else who also needs healing, many things can be dealt with by... I'll call it some maybe general and, and common methods and means. But there are countless examples of some things and some folks that seem to have similar needs for healing, but in the end, they require a very specialized or a very unique medicine or, or some other means by which that one can gain their own necessary healing, whether it's a spiritual healing. Not everyone's spiritual healing is going to be accomplished by the same methods and means, perhaps. In fact, the Bible tells us that when uh, the disciples couldn't heal a certain one, they brought him to Jesus, and they said, they couldn't do it. And the disciples said, why couldn't we heal this one? Because some healings come by way of fasting and prayers. Some healings require unique methods of healing. Now we certainly have seen the evidence and the reiteration, I suppose, of that uniqueness in the many different ways that Jesus, even, even here in the Gospel of Mark, has affected uh, his healing uh, of so many issues. Throughout these first seven and a half chapters, so many times, so many issues, whether it was leprosy, whether it was a blood disorder, whether it was deafness or the inability to speak, and so many other examples. We've seen the evidence how Jesus will use some unique means of healing from one situation to the next. And so today's text also reveals Jesus healing a blind man in a way that was very different than was previously recorded, at least here in the gospel. Now, this process of healing, I believe, is likewise, or maybe even so, uh, even more so, individually unique when it comes to matters of the heart, or when it comes to the issues of spiritual healing, as I've mentioned. Now, while the truth and while the spiritual answers remain unchanged regardless of the person or the circumstance. This truth, this spiritual answer is unchanged. It does not change, it cannot change, it will not change, as God will not change. But the effective change in an individual's heart takes for some just a little time 
Whereas for others, bringing about a true change of heart and acceptance of God's answer in their spiritual matter can take much longer. In fact, it can take nearly a lifetime. So our text today as I said, a, a reveals a man being healed from blindness to sight. Now, through our last several meetings, through the last several messages throughout this particular portion of Scripture, and especially, well, I said last week, but now it's two weeks ago, since last week we didn't have a, an evening service for Father's Day. But in these last several meetings, we saw just how slow the process can be for the healing of spiritual blindness to insight and understanding. As even the disciples present with Jesus throughout his teaching and healing ministry were, as many of us are, not as quick as some in understanding the deeper spiritual meaning of the words and the works of their Savior, of Jesus Christ. So let's read today's passage before we get so wrapped up in what is he talking about. Let's read today's passage and we'll move on from there. Mark chapter 8 starting in verse number 22. And that's over on this page, for me anyway. Verse number 22 says, And he, that is Jesus, he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he, that's Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he, that is Jesus, put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and he saw every man clearly. And Jesus sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Now it's a short passage, and it seems like that would be a that's a pretty simple healing message. Right there. Uh, how are you going to develop a whole message on that? That's a great question. Let's find out in about an hour, and then we'll be good. But uh, this account really seems to be only recorded. My wife's laughing at me, and that's a good thing. Uh, it only seems to re- be recorded in this gospel record. Matthew and Luke and John don't don't record this particular incident. Now there are several incidents which will be recorded in one of the Gospels and not all of them. There are several incidents that are recorded in all of the Gospels because they're that necessary for reiteration. This one happens to be uh, resident here in the Gospel of Mark. But I wondered at, at, at the time I was studying this, I wondered why would it only be recorded here? And it seems like such a simple thing and why would... What's so remarkable about this one? But what the remarkable thing is, is that God has preserved it here, I believe, as a testament to that very individual and personal involvement with each of us as Jesus and God know our individual need. Just as we'll see that he knew just what this man And those that brought him, he knew what they needed and what they may or may not have wanted. Well, let's pray as we get into this message. Father in heaven, I'd ask that you would open our hearts of understanding tonight. Lord, this really does seem like a very simple passage of scripture. But Lord God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would 
meet with us as you have promised. Lord, open our hearts of understanding, Father. Open our eyes to see how your passage, your preserved word here tonight will affect and, and, and apply to all of our individual lives tonight. So that, Father, we can go from this place knowing that you have met with us. God, I'd ask for your spirit to take control, Father, for Jesus Christ to be lifted up, for each one of us to decrease so that Jesus Christ may increase. Father, I ask it now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, let's see. Having read this short passage, you may also recall, if you were here at our last meeting, the reproof that Jesus gave toward his disciples as they seemed to be caught up with their own worries. If you'll remember, they were in the ship and they were off across the sea and he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And the disciples were like, oh no, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Well, he reproved them and set them straight. He said, it's not about the bread. It's about the leaven of the false doctrines that are being preached. But the, the disciples, they, they seemed to be caught up with their own worries, causing them to miss what Jesus was trying to warn them of. Turn briefly back to Matthew chapter 16 with me for a moment. Matthew chapter 16. And it's on one of these pages. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16, once you find that, find your way to verses 11 and 12. And here, Jesus speaking once again, he says, How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? And then the Bible says, And then they understood how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So you see, it was after the reproof of Christ that, Oh, that's what he's talking about. Sometimes, don't you find that if we're sitting in a, in a church service and we're hearing a great message out of the Word of God and all of a sudden something comes along and you say, huh? What did he just say? And three minutes later, oh, that's what he meant back there. Okay, now I get it. It's kind of like this morning he said you know, about the nurses. And he said, I'll, I'll explain that again in just a moment. And all of a sudden, there it was. And we're very thankful for our nurses. Anyway. I believe our text here in Mark chapter 8 is, is a bit of an illustrative interjection. Boy, there's some big words. Illustrative interjection. You want to impress somebody at work tomorrow, go look, come at them with that. I've got an illustrative interjection for you. And they'll be like, you are crazy. Go the other way. Uh, but I believe that it's this injection that, that depicts the truth that Jesus will not leave any work unfinished. But we'll see it through to completion, even if it takes some time. Now, it's worth noting, I believe, the context of how this man came to be before Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22 says, And they bring him a blind man. Well, who is the they that is referred to? Well, I believe that maybe we could presume it to be some that were at least familiar with this blind man. Perhaps it was relatives or close friends. Maybe it was neighbors. Maybe it was other townsfolk. But it was someone who was familiar that this man is blind. 
and needs some healing. Well, as the verse continues, it would seem that it was those who brought the man who besought Jesus to touch him. Now, if you read that verse 22 again, it says, And they uh, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and they that brought him besought Jesus to touch him. We'll revisit that in just a minute. Why does that make a difference? Oh, that's why. We'll see that in just a minute. Now, I have to wonder here, these folks brought this blind man to be healed. Was it a genuine faith that Jesus could heal him? Or was it a demonstration of sorts that this man, Jesus, is a great healer. We've seen him heal some great things. And he's healed all these folks here. Wait, here's a blind man over here. Do it again. Heal this guy. He's not even asking for healing. He doesn't know who you are. He doesn't have any faith in you, but heal him. Was it a genuine faith that Jesus can heal him? Or was it a, ooh, that was neat. Let's see it again. I don't know. But I believe it is noteworthy because we can infer that perhaps this blind man who was not the one asking Jesus directly to touch or to heal him, we can presume that perhaps this man did not know about Jesus. Or perhaps this man felt unworthy of healing or undeserving of such a great act when there were so many others also in greater need than he. When you're talking with someone, when you're witnessing to others, haven't you ever heard sometimes, I... I don't deserve all that attention. It's just leave me alone. I'll be fine. Go, go, go help somebody that really needs it. Go, go to the hospitals. Help somebody that's dying from something. They need help. I'll be, I'll be okay. You see, maybe this man just didn't think that he could possibly deserve the love of God. Maybe he didn't know about it. Do we have friends or neighbors or other acquaintances who are in the same straits? We can see that they need Jesus. But are we seeking his healing for them? And does our desire cause us to make the Lord known unto them? Do we bring them to Jesus in some way so that he can help? What we see in this verse, I believe, is a, a faith, at least some measure of faith, that will bring others to a knowledge that Christ is the one that can and will help. But I wonder if that is the whole extent of our faith. You need to go see Jesus. He's the one that can help you. And then we just go on. And we never follow up. We never revisit. We never say, can I show you Jesus? Can I show you from the word of God who Jesus is and why it is that I believe that he can help you? So these folks, they felt some sort of compunction about helping this man. And they did what I, I believe they felt they could do. Or did they do just enough to ease their own conscience? Well, I led him to the man that can heal him. So I've done my part. Now I can sleep better tonight. So in our text, we see a blind man who didn't apparently know how or what to ask in, re, in regard to healing, or, or if, in, if he even felt that he could or should ask for the blessing of the Lord's touch in healing. I get the feeling, as I'm reading through this, that 
This man had been blind long enough that he didn't even seem to have any hope of ever gaining sight. He wasn't asking for healing. Why wouldn't someone ask for healing? If this was a great physician, if this was a great healer, why wouldn't you want to ask for healing? He can't help me. There's no hope. I'm older. I've lived my life. I've been blind all my life, so I'll, I'm fine. I'm getting along. It's okay. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just not even ask. I don't know. It sure seems like I've heard that same sense of no hope when I've talked to others and I've heard them say, uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't know what I've done. There is no hope for me. If you knew what I've done, well, if, if I were to go with you and even darken the doorstep of that church, the whole building is going to fall down and you're going to be out of a church, so I'll spare you that because there's just no hope for me anyway. Friends, that's, that's sad. That's sad that we can't be a beacon of hope that they can see that no matter what, there is still hope while there is life. But these folks, they brought this man nonetheless. They said, no, 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 come with us. You've got to come to see this man. And then Jesus, what did the Bible say here in verse 23? Took the man, took the blind man by the hand. In verse 23, let's read it again. Verse 23 says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Oh. Now as I thought about this, and I really just kind of meditated and really was praying and seeking understanding of this, I began to realize that with someone like this man that isn't personally convinced and seeking healing or restoration for themselves, that kind of a person has to go through some kind of a faith-building process before healing can take place. If there's someone that's not interested, you can't force them. Something has to happen in their own heart. There has to be a a faith building in them before anything can really effectively happen. I wonder if Jesus had touched this man in front of all of that crowd. Remember the Bible says that he led him by the hand out of the town, away from those that brought him to the Lord. I wonder if he had touched this man in front of all the crowd, that had he not been immediately healed completely, maybe would the crowd have started crying foul, you're a fake, you're a phony, I thought you could heal anyone. Maybe they would have began to doubt. Either the, the blind man's response was just kind of fake, or maybe they would have began to doubt the ability of the Lord to heal immediately and completely. Well, isn't that what they've been kind of becoming accustomed to? Everywhere that Jesus went, multitudes would gather and he would heal them. He would speak a word. He would touch them like the demoniac of Gadara, like Jairus' daughter, like the woman with a 12-year blood issue. So many more. What did the woman with the blood issue of 12 years do? She crept up behind him and merely touched the hem of his garment and she was healed instantly and completely. Well, if that hadn't happened with this man and it hadn't happened with this man in front of all of that crowd of people, what would their response have been? I don't know. We can only guess. But my guess is, knowing a little bit about human nature, <laughs> what was that? I, I thought you could heal anybody. I'm not coming to this guy again. 
We brought him one tough case, and he wimps out. He can't heal him. So much for my faith in that guy. How bad may that testimony have been, or may that response have been? We're supposing those things, but there's a reason that Jesus took him out of the town. We have to wonder why. I believe, considering verses 23 and 24, once again, let's read the verses. 23 is, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And verse 24 says, he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. See, I believe that Jesus, through the wisdom of God, took the man aside to avoid any possible naysayers because Jesus had to work with this man slowly to begin to build a faith in him. So as he spat on his eyes and he touched him initially, he said, can you see? I, uh, I, I can't. I, I can start seeing. I, I'm starting to see men walking as trees. That's something that this man hadn't seen for who knows how long, maybe all of his life. I'm reminded of Saul. The Saul that became the Apostle Paul. Turn with me for just a moment to Galatians, if you would, please. Why are we turning to Galatians? Because I want to I remind us of what Saul did when he was converted. Galatians chapter 1, if you would, please. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1, reading verses 13 through 18. The Bible here says... Paul writing, he says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately... I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Why? Here again, I believe that Paul was led by the Lord to separate himself to grow in his faith for some time before becoming involved with the preaching. Because of so many, he said, you've heard my conversation in time past. Everybody in the whole area knew who Saul was. A tremendous and incredible persecutor of Christians. And then all of a sudden, he's going to go to Damascus one day, and then he's going to come back preaching the word of God and, and elevating God above everything else and trying to convert folks to be a Christian? Sure, there's something wrong there. But no, he said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. I separated myself for three years because it takes some time sometimes for a complete healing to happen. Now I am sure that Paul had to employ a great deal during that time of introspection and self-evaluation and giving it all over to the Lord in such a complete way so that he was able to use his own experience with grace and healing and forgiveness of God to then help others and to preach it from his heart. Because knowing Saul, knowing his zeal for persecution, as he even mentioned, 
can you imagine the guilt? I know that we can because if every one of us that has been saved know what we were and then we're saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ and never think about, wow, what did I do when I wasn't saved? There's some tremendous guilt and self-forgiveness and cleansing of our own heart and of our own spirit that has to happen before, uh, between us and God before we can be effective even in our own hearts. And Paul then, obviously we know, became a very great apostle and a very great preacher using his experience prior, not being encumbered by it, but using it as such an example of God's grace and forgiveness. And I believe that that being able to use that and being able to ascribe how God has worked in our own hearts and then using that that's, that, that's called empathy. Knowing what someone is going through because I have been there. It's having been through the mill, as it were. And we can then speak from that place of experience. Friends, Jesus Christ... Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who healed Saul and Jesus is the one who can heal me and you completely, both spiritually and also physically. But I'm going to throw a caveat in that physical part. I believe that God will only heal us physically so far as that physical healing doesn't cause you and me to no longer rely upon God as we need to. Because if God were to heal us physically completely from all of our woes, we might just very soon forget about God. Wasn't it Paul that said, I sought the Lord thrice? And he said, my grace is sufficient. He didn't heal this thorn in the flesh for Paul, but he said, my grace is sufficient. You can use that to share my grace with someone else. Remember also that Jesus has faced all the same temptations that we do, but he conquered them without sin, and he can help us conquer and not give in to them as well. Well, okay, now back to our text. Now I'm diverging a little bit, but we had to put that in there. We have to understand that Jesus Christ knows what we're going through. He, Jesus knows the temptations that we face, and he is able now back to our text, once again, verses 23 through 25. We've all read it. Let's look again at verse 25. Verse 25 says, After that, Jesus put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now because of the initial faith of others... Jesus was able to demonstrate to this man that there is indeed hope for him. As he began to work with him, he spat upon his eyes, he put his hands on his eyes, he said, can you see, I'm starting to. But it wasn't a clear understanding. It wasn't a clear vision yet. Friends, do you and I have an ultimately clear spiritual vision yet? in our lives? If we did, we wouldn't any longer need Jesus and the Holy Spirit here. I don't believe we're going to have that, that clear spiritual understanding until we are made incorruptible 
And we are given that understanding. And the Bible says that we will know even as we are known. That's not going to happen this side of the rapture. But I believe that because of that initial faith of others, Jesus was able to demonstrate to this man that there is indeed hope for him. And I believe that Jesus, as he knows the heart, he saw that this man was beginning to understand. He was beginning to believe. He was beginning to see that this man can help and can heal him. And I don't believe, as I said earlier, that Jesus is in any habit of leaving anything unfinished. As Jesus walked the earth, as Jesus went through the crucifixion, as Jesus hung on the cross, what were his last three words? It is finished. Jesus will not leave his work in you or in me unfinished. He didn't leave the work of healing this blind man unfinished. But then look at what happens next. You see, Jesus healed this man's sight completely. And then he gave this man a charge. Look with me at verse 26. As we wind down here, we're getting close to the end. Let's, let's look at verse 26. And he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Now the inference there, of course, is in the town from whence we just came out of. The inference there is to not tell any of those that brought you to the town... It wasn't, if we look carefully at this, it wasn't that Jesus didn't want this man to be a testimony and a witness. In fact, the Bible said that Jesus sent him home to his family. He sent him to his home, away to his house. And I'd have to think that whoever, whatever family this man may have, I think that they would suddenly be amazed. Wait, he just came home looking where he's going, and he's able to see the door, and he's able to see the steps, he's able to see us. I think that the family, whoever might have been there, would have been amazed and would want to know more about how did this happen? Who did this? Tell me about this healer that you just experienced. But those in the town, the ones that brought the man to Jesus, well, I get the sense that Jesus also knew their faith was not a true faith in the person of Christ. Rather, it was perhaps a means of... Now, they were folks of the town. This man clearly was in that area. I think that maybe Jesus knew rather that it was a means of the folks in the town resolving this man's issue so that they wouldn't have to see him. They wouldn't have to feel responsible to help him. They wouldn't have to care for him anymore thinking that if Jesus were to heal that guy, we don't have to take meals to his house anymore. We don't have to see him in the streets begging for somebody to help him. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Jesus, take care of him so he's out of my hair. Ooh, that's a supposition. That's a huge... What does that mean? But why then did Jesus say, don't go into the town and tell them? Why then did Jesus say, don't go back into the town, go to your house? Maybe because Jesus knows all of our heart. If Jesus could heal him, then he could also work and pay taxes and, and it would be less of a burden on our town. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
We see theirs, it seems, was not a heart of compassion for the blindness of this man. And yet, Jesus was able to work mightily on this man's behalf and demonstrated his love and compassion toward this man. He healed this man in spite of those in the town, and he demonstrated that he has love and compassion toward anyone and can help anyone. That's a lot from those few verses. What does all of it mean for us? I'm glad you asked. First, I believe that we can draw from this passage an exhortation for ourselves to check up on our own motives for how and why and how often and how fervently we engage in intercessory prayer for others. It's a message here that says... Are you really concerned about their healing? Or do you just want to take them off of your prayer list? Are we passionately telling others of Jesus' readiness and ability to help in whatever need they have? You see, Jesus says in Luke 14 that we are to compel them to come in. Which means that we must be convinced ourselves and then demonstrate our own faith and not give up. And not try to just rid ourselves of the burden of interceding on, for others on their behalf. Then, are we genuine enough to follow them out of the town? I get the idea here from reading this passage that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. It didn't say, you all stay here. It just says he led him out of the town. Did anyone follow him? It doesn't seem so. Are we willing to follow up? follow someone out of the town, follow someone to where they are actually meeting Jesus and be there to support them and pray for them and encourage them? Are we following up with our discipleship of that one? Or are we just saying, hey, I I know a man that can help in whatever you need. And that's it. Because as this account indicates, sometimes the Lord's work in someone's life requires some time to initiate and to build in that individual the faith they need before he can complete his work in them. Secondly, secondly, what does this mean for us? More personally, perhaps, for you and me individually, personally, where are you and I in our own spiritual health and healing and growth? Are we in the midst of some need of healing for a physical healing, for an emotional healing? Are we in the midst of some healing phase and it just doesn't seem to be going as quickly as we'd like it to go? Well, you know, Lord, I've been dealing with this issue now for 37 years. Come on, it's about time. I'd like to... That's not, that, that's, I don't believe that's how God works. That's not what Paul experienced. No, my grace is sufficient. Because if we were healed of that particular, perhaps, infirmity, would we need Jesus? Would we need to rely on God? Perhaps our focus should not be on how far we have to still go in our healing, whether it's our spiritual growth or physical, but rather maybe our focus ought to be on the gains that God has blessed us with because of and through our faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. How far have we come? Praise God for that. Do you know what I once was? I know what I once was. 
And now I'm standing in a pulpit preaching the word of God. That was not me back then. Pastor said that was not me back then. That was this was not us back then. But God is good and gracious and faithful and has brought us to this point today. How much farther can we go? I don't know. The Lord knows. I'm going to let him worry about that. Look where we are right now. Use what we have right now. Because God has done amazing work. Isn't that what he told the man in Gadara? Go tell how great work the Lord has done for you. It's never the fact that God could not resolve our infirmities and issues with, with even less than a mere thought. Indeed, God spoke and the world came into being. God doesn't require a whole process to heal us. But in his wisdom, I believe that God is working to teach us. Like our Savior learned. Wait, what? what hold on, what is he about to say? Well, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 8 tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Oh, but Jesus was the Son of God. He already knew how to obey his Father. He was obeying his Father. But the Bible tells us that in his humanity and in his person and in his relatability to us, that Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. So in all honesty, friends and Christians, it is by the grace of God and by the mercies of God that our prayers and petitions are not always answered when or how we think they ought to be answered. One thing, however, is sure. From our text tonight, Jesus Christ is able. And when our faith is true about any given situation, when our faith is true, we will see Jesus complete his work in us and in others as well. Amen? Pastor, would you close the service? In that text there, very quickly, as I just had one couple of things here. Steve touched on it. He didn't push it. And that was that verse 26, it says, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. The problem with Bethsaida is that they had already been cursed. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 21 says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the works that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Tyre and Sidon would still be around and so he took the man out of the city because it was not worthy the city was not worthy and uh, we could actually probably do a part two to that that sequence there and that was that there are there are god can't do the things he wants to do in some of our homes or god can't do some of the things that he would like to do in our lives because we're not there at that point where God can actually do anything. He could not do anything. In, he would not do anything anymore in, in Bethsaida because there was a curse on the city. So he took the man outside the wall and he healed the man in his specific way as Steve has mentioned. 
but just to make sure that our personal lives and that our homes are in such a state that God can do wonderful things in our homes. Otherwise, he may have to pull some of our children or pull some things out so that he can do what he would want to do at home. He can't do them at home. He has to take them in a different place, different direction to get those things done. So let's make sure our lives, let's make sure our homes are what they ought to be. Amen? Father, we thank you for the message that Brother Steve brought to us tonight and brought to our attention that, Lord, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure there would have been a time when the Lord would love to have had this blind man who was healed go back to the city. Certainly he did it with the, uh, the, uh, the Gadarene, uh, Lord, the uh, demonic man that was uh, possessed with demons and sent him back to the city and told him to tell them what great things God had done for him. But here, uh, Lord, we know that you did something wonderful. We know that you did something great. But Lord, the hearts of the people were not worthy. They had been cursed because of their unbelief and the disobedience. Lord, may we not be, as Steve concluded, disobedient and rebellious. Lord, may we learn to surrender so that you can do great things in us. Dear Lord, we understand that you want to do great, we want you to do great things in our lives, but we don't have to change. But Lord, you're not going to do great things until we do change. Lord, may the Holy Spirit guide and direct us as we go our separate ways and to meditate upon the message that Brother Steve brought tonight and to realize that, Lord, we, we, do want to, <clears throat> we do want you to do great things in our lives and want to be able to go among our family and our friends and tell them. And so, Father, strengthen us and encourage us in these things we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you.